Good morning. My name is Joe Jones. I'm one of the elders here. Let's pray quickly one more time before we get started. Speak, Lord, through your word, for your servants are listening. Amen. Well, this will be this morning the last message from the book of Acts, Acts chapters 27 and 28. It's been both convicting and encouraging for me to study through this book of Acts, and I hope it's been uh, the same for you over these past several months. And just a note that in a couple of weeks, we are going to be starting a series on the book of Revelation. So I'm looking forward to that series, which will start in a couple of weeks. It'll be a rich time in that book. I have a lot to say and a lot to read from Acts this morning and not a lot of time, so let's go. And there will be four sections to this sermon. Um, so here's where we're headed. Number one, the message of the book of Acts in five minutes. You could time me, all right? Five minutes. Number two, a shipwreck and an island. Acts 27, 1 through 28, 16. Number three, a rejection and a resolution from Acts 28, 17 through 31. And number four, the big takeaway from the book of Acts. So the message of Acts, five minutes. Here's my one-sentence summary of the book of Acts. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead and who lives as king in heaven, is actively at work in the world by his Holy Spirit through the suffering and witness of his church to bring the good news of forgiveness and eternal life to the ends of the earth. That's what Acts is all about. Now, that's a mouthful, so let me give a fuller summary of the book. The risen Jesus commissioned his disciples about 2,000 years ago to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples went out boldly to proclaim the saving message about Jesus. They went first to Jerusalem, where thousands of Jewish people believed in Jesus and were baptized and became forgiven disciples of Christ. But the message about Jesus wasn't just received and gladly welcomed in Jerusalem. It was also opposed, notably in the life and ministry of a man named Stephen. Uh, Stephen, after testifying about the reality of Jesus as king over the whole world, and after boldly confronting the obstinance of the Jewish people, he was martyred in a brutal stoning death, a bloody death. But this persecution in the providence of God led to the scattering of the church beyond Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria. And there's this man named Philip who was a deacon, who was also a zealous evangelist, who brought the gospel to the most unlikely people in Samaria. And through him, through Philip, God was beginning to just burst open the doors for the gospel to the nations. But Philip wasn't the only zealous man alive in those days. There was also a very zealous man named Saul. 
And Saul was zealously persecuting the church. But the Lord stopped Saul in his tracks, saving him, radically changing his life, and commissioning him then as the apostle to the nations, to the Gentiles and the kings of the earth. Now, we'll get back to Saul. The great apostle Peter, for his part, remained in Jerusalem to lead the church there. But God had a lot more to teach Peter about his mission outside of Jerusalem. You see, through his interactions with a man named Cornelius, Peter learned that God does not show partiality, but that any and all can be cleansed of their sins simply through faith in Jesus. And it is this reality that gripped the heart of Saul, later called Paul. And the Lord sent Paul on three missionary journeys to reach people for the name of Christ. And these missionary journeys proved to be intensely painful. Paul suffered greatly. And they proved to be amazingly fruitful. Thousands of people saved and lives changed and churches planted all across Asia Minor. But Jesus didn't just commission his disciples to be witnesses throughout Asia Minor. He called them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And in the most unexpected, counterintuitive ways, God brought Paul to the end and apex of the known world, which was Rome. But it wasn't through a fourth missionary journey as we might expect. Paul made his way to Rome to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel via courtroom trials, through a shipwreck, and in chains as a prisoner. But the point in all of it is this. The sovereign king of the world is fulfilling his mission to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the book of Acts. How do you do? Five minutes. Is it around there? A little bit over? All right. <laughs> Okay, so let's see how the end of the book of Acts, Acts 27 and 28, wraps up this story with a shipwreck, an island, and more. Acts 27, 1 through 28, 16. I'll be reading from the ESV, and I will not be offended if you don't look at me very much over the next 10 or 15 minutes because we're going to be reading a lot of text in our Bible. So you be looking at your Bible as we read and we'll make some points as we go along. A shipwreck in an island. And I want us to think about bringing the love of Jesus everywhere we go indeed by our actions. So Acts 10.38, Peter tells Cornelius and his household that Jesus went about doing good and healing people. So you want a summary of the life of Jesus? Here it is. He went about doing good and healing people. In other words, wherever he was, Jesus was doing good to people. He was helping them. He was benefiting them. He was caring for them. So with Jesus' followers. Wherever we are, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we want to be a net positive in the lives of others. Christians are not known for being curmudgeons or self-centered 
or arrogant or rude or a sap on people's joy. Christians are known for serving and helping and caring for those around them so that even if and when the world around us disagrees with and opposes the message that we believe so dearly and proclaim and our world is going to disagree increasingly with that message, but even then they cannot deny that our family, our neighborhood, our school, our workplace would be worse off without us there. This was the case for the Apostle Paul in some really amazing ways. Whether on sea or on land, whether with island natives or civilized Romans or hardened sailors or angry opponents, he went about doing good. Let's see how this unfolds in the first section of our passage for today. And again, I'll be reading from the ESV. If you recall from last week, Paul appealed his trial, his courtroom case, to Caesar. And so to Caesar in Rome, he went. Verse 1 of Acts 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. So you can see it. Uh, there's a map up there now. All right, very simple map. And so they had protection from the winds and rough seas because of this island called Cyprus. You can see it there. Verse 5. When we had sailed across the open sea and along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. You can see Myra there on the map as well. Verse 6. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther directly west, you see they should have kept going west. And so it's bad news that the wind's now pushing them South, um, we sailed under the lee of Crete, verse 7, off Salmon to the south. Verse 8, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. You can see Fair Havens on the map under the title Crete. So they're about halfway through their journey, but the worst is yet to come. Verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, so they're heading into the fall and the winter, a terrible time to be on the water. Paul advised them, verse 10, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. And what we need to realize is that Paul is no rookie when it comes to seafaring. He's no novice. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, three times I was shipwrecked. Imagine it. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. He knows what he's talking about when he says in verse 10, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, but they don't listen to him. Verse 11, the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there 
on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete. So now they're on the south side of Crete, trying to make it along close to shore. Verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. So you can just imagine the ship trying to fight against the wind and the waves to go northwest up to Phoenix, but the wind pushing against the side of the ship, it's too strong, and they give way to it, and they head into these open seas in the Mediterranean. And how terrifying. They're in open seas at the last time you want to be going out into the Mediterranean. Verse 16, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, which is a big deal because they used sun and stars for navigation, verse 20, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They're just, they're done. How terrifying. Hopeless. And I wonder what Paul was thinking at this point. Was there any part of him that was tempted to think, how did I end up here? What, what has my life come to? Where is God in the midst of this storm? But the word for Paul in the midst of the darkness and the word for all of us in the midst of our confusion and pain and darkness is this. Do not be afraid. And I am with you. That's what Jesus says to Paul. You're not here by accident. I rule the wind and the storms, and my purposes are being fulfilled in your life. And that is true of you today just as much as it was true for the Apostle Paul on this ship. The Lord is with you. You're not here by accident. His purposes are being fulfilled in your life. So do not fear. Chapter 27, verse 21. Look at it there. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. In other words, my purposes for your life are being fulfilled even in the midst of this darkness. 
And behold, verse 24, behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. So Paul trusts that what the Lord says is true, 100% true, and then he brings encouragement and support to those around him. You know, Paul could have been curled up in a ball on the bottom of that ship, just terrified. But he trusts God's promise, and he draws strength from that, and then he encourages those around him. Look at verse 27. When the 14th night had come, imagine it, 14 nights on sea like this. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. That's about 120 feet. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms, about 90 feet. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Verse 32. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Sometimes all we need is a good meal. Verse 34, Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Man, it's good to have Paul on board. Isn't it? What would they have done without him? He brings the presence and peace of Jesus to the situation. That's what he's doing. Verse 35, and when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Now, who does that remind you of? Hmm. Verse 36, then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were all in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. These men would not have survived without Paul's presence. They wouldn't have. He's bringing them encouragement. He's literally feeding them. He almost serves as a father figure on this boat, taking care of everyone. And it's very reminiscent of Jesus himself feeding the crowds and caring for them. May we be people who bring the presence of Jesus by our actions and deeds and joy wherever we go, wherever we go. Okay, verse 39, chapter 27. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. It is amazing that they hit Malta, this tiny island, the providence of God. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. 
Paul's presence on the ship would definitely have been missed were he not there. He showed the love of Christ not by proclaiming the gospel on the ship. He showed the love of Christ here by demonstrating care. He just loved these people. Lord, help us to emanate the love of Christ wherever we go. Chapter 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, I'm unusual. I like snakes. I think they're kind of cool. But this is not cool. They have a viper lashed onto you. Verse 4, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and so saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god, a fickleness of human beings. And one minute they're saying, he's a murderer, and the next, he's a god. But it doesn't throw Paul off from doing what he always does, bringing the love and joy and healing of Jesus to these people. Verse 7, in the, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief men of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Just this beautiful picture of Paul basically curing this whole island, healing Verse 10, they also honored us greatly. Literally, they honored us with many honors. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Who knows if some of these people heard the message of the gospel and were saved. I, I like to believe that that was the case. But it points us to God's heart of mercy for the great and the small, for the powerful, for kings and governors, and for natives and savages who dwell in distant lands, a heart of mercy that the Apostle Paul shared. And he brought the presence of Jesus to these people. Okay, so Paul and his companions leave the island of Malta, and now they're on the last leg of their journey. Acts 28, verses 11 through 16. Look at it there with me. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, day we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And so ends this section. Now, it is unlikely that many of us will be involved in a shipwreck or on an island of natives 
or testifying about the gospel in court in a major city. But it is very likely that many of us will go to work tomorrow morning or be interacting with our kids or our neighbors or at school. And so what does it look like for you to bring the presence of Jesus wherever you go? At the end of our services, we always have a benediction. And what it serves as is is ascending out into the world. Okay, so there's this benediction, and what it means is that we're being sent out, we're being scattered. We're gathered now, but we're, at the end of the service, we're being scattered out into the world. And, and as we do that, let's bring, through our actions, through our deeds, the encouragement and goodness and beauty and help and joy and peace and healing of Jesus to those around us. Pretty simple. (laughs) And maybe people will start asking questions. Let it be said of us when we're gone, boy, do I miss so-and-so, because they brought goodness into our community, into our lives. Now, it's important that we bring the love of Jesus everywhere we go, indeed, by our actions. But the central thrust of the book of Acts is the irreplaceable, vital role of the message of the gospel because no one on planet earth will be saved by your actions. All people everywhere need to hear the message of the gospel to be saved. And so Paul was compelled to speak about Christ to everyone he came in contact with. And may we likewise be compelled to speak. Okay, so that leads us to a a rejection and a resolution as we think about bringing the love of Jesus to the ends of the earth in word, in word. Acts 28, 17 through 31. So let's look at this rejection. Verse 17 of Acts 28. Look at it there with me. Acts 28, verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, but there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore... I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning Till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. 
the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and, and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So there's this rejection, but note that it's a two-way road, this rejection. Okay? Yes, the Jewish people who live in Rome reject Jesus as their Messiah. But as Paul writes to the Romans, there is a hardening that God is doing among the Jewish people in order to allow time for people from all the nations to come in and be saved by Jesus. Which leads to the resolution and to the main point of our passage and to the main point of the book of Acts as a whole. So all that I've said so far in the last 30 minutes is build up to this. Okay? Resolution. And here's the resolution. It's essentially this. I will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's Paul's resolution. More deeply, that's the resolution of Jesus himself. Jesus has made this resolution. All people everywhere will hear and some people everywhere will believe. That's Jesus who said that, who's saying that. Look at, look at Acts 28, verses 28 through 31, where it says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So notice four things about these verses. Number one, they will listen. Verse 28, they will listen. Paul has confidence that God is going to save people from among all of the nations. All the cities, all the people groups, all the languages. Paul has confidence. Number two, Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God. You see it there in verse 31. Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God. You know, you often know a lot about a book of the Bible by looking at how it starts and how it ends. And the beginning of the book of Acts begins with this strong emphasis on the kingdom of God. And the end of the book of Acts emphasizes again the kingdom of God. In fact, all of Acts is about how Jesus is showing that he is the king of the world by bringing people to submit to his rule. And so a great way to understand what is God doing in the world? Here's what God's doing in the world. He's bringing more and more people to say yes to Jesus for his glory and for their joy. That's what God's doing in the world. Number three, look at it there in verse 31. Paul was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the topic of Paul's teaching was not primarily an idea. 
It was not primarily a doctrine or a set of truths. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. What Paul was teaching about was a person because many years ago in Paul's life, he had a life-transforming encounter with a real living person who changed his life. And it was this real living person that Paul loved and that he wanted to tell the world about. Do you know this person, Jesus? Do you know him, the person? Not the idea, not the doctrine, not the set of truths, which are all important, but do you personally know the person of Jesus Christ? I hope you do. It's so important. But for those of us who do know him, our evangelism is simply this. It's introducing a real, living, breathing, sinful person on earth to a real, living, breathing, saving person in heaven. That's what our evangelism is. That's what witnessing is, and that's what the Apostle Paul did. He loved this person, and he wanted other people to know him. That's all. It's really simple. Number four, note that while Paul was in chains, the message of the gospel was not in chains. In fact, Paul himself would be released from prison in Rome. He'd actually travel to Spain where he wanted to travel, bring the gospel there. Then he'd be imprisoned again in Rome where he would be executed. And Acts ends with Paul in prison. But the point is that, as Paul says in 2 Timothy, the word of God is not bound. And even after the great apostle died, the word about Jesus continued to spread like wildfire. And isn't it amazing that even today, there are Christians in the Chicagoland area. Like, how did that happen? That is incredible that the gospel spread all the way from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to Chicago. How did that happen? Here's how it happened. There's a living king in heaven who's doing his work and who is still actively involved and at work in this world. And the message must go to the end of the earth and to every last people group on the globe. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed because Jesus is king. And this leads us into the fourth and final section of the sermon, namely the big takeaway from the book of Acts. The big takeaway from the book of Acts. And it's this. Let's join the Lord in his global mission. I believe that the central application of the entire book of Acts is this, that all of us who go by the name Christian are called to join God in his global mission. Not some of us, not those who are professional pastors or missionaries, but all of us are called by God 
to join him in his global mission. And I'm not talking about personal evangelism to our neighbors. I'm saying, what I'm saying is that the book of Acts, what it calls all of us as Christians to, is to join God in his global mission to reach the unreached. All of us. And so you say, well, that's kind of new to me. I, I don't do, I'm not doing that right now. So what does that look like? Well, let me give you five ways as we finish that we can be involved in God's global mission. And maybe you could pick one of these, but I believe all of us need to latch on to the first one. Okay, so five ways we can be involved. First, get God's heart. It all starts with simply caring. Simply caring about God's glory, caring about the message of Jesus, and caring about the reality that there are millions of people right now on planet Earth who don't know Jesus, who have no access to the gospel, and who without Jesus will die and perish in hell forever. Like We, we have got to start by caring about that reality. As a first step, therefore, we should ask God, and I've been asking God as I've studied this passage, to help us to care, to care about the unreached, to care about those people that don't know Jesus and have no access to the gospel. Number two, pray. Get a copy of a book called Operation World. You can order that right now on your phone, on Amazon. It'll show up on your doorstep in a matter of hours. And you can start praying through that book for the nation. Put that book on your nightstand. And for five minutes before you go to bed, just read about a nation of the earth and pray. It's a great way to be involved in God's global mission, which we all should be as Christians. Number three, give. Let's give generously even sacrificially. And let's be particular about where our money is going. And let's have a focus on God's mission to reach the unreached. This is a way that we can be involved with God's global mission. Number four, to send, to support beyond financial support and beyond prayer. Maybe this means hosting missionaries. Maybe it means other forms of support beyond praying and giving. Maybe it means going and talking to Pastor Patrick. How can I be involved in the global mission of the Lord? And number five, go. Maybe there is one person or a few people who would say, I want to start to pray to devote my life to going to reach an unreached people group for the name of Jesus. So this is what the Lord is up to in the world. This is his mission to reach all people for his name. And the calling of the book of Acts on each of our lives is to join the Lord in his mission. Let's pray together.